Many on the left are saying that the current crisis is demonstrating the virtues of socialism. For instance, they say since we need big government spending now in this emergency, that shows we should have big government spending all the time. Or since government has to support health care now, that shows government should pay for health care all the time. Now, I always agree to the logic of the left because it keeps them pacified and gives me a chance to back away slowly before suddenly hitting them on the side of the head with a two by four so I can run away before they muster a mob of balaclava wearing knuckleheads looking to kill anyone with a differing opinion. So I've decided to live by these brilliant leftist arguments for the foreseeable future or until my theme song starts, whichever comes first. For instance, if you should come down with a serious case of the virus and end up in a hospital bed with a ventilator mask on and tubes running in and out of every orifice of your body, that so shows you should live like that all the time and maybe put your leg in a cast as well just for good measure. If your city is suddenly turned from a vibrant center of culture and commerce into an empty series of stone canyons in which the most entertaining thing happening is a crumpled piece of paper caught in a swirling updraft, then you should abandon the city all the time and return to the land where you can use your many agricultural skills like excavating your left nostril while watching Netflix. And if you're an outgoing social butterfly who suddenly finds yourself huddling alone in a room hoping a loved one will find your body, you should live like that all the time or until you turn to useful mulch. Thus, by applying leftist logic to all the actions taken during an emergency, it turns out we really can learn something, namely never to use leftist logic at all. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, tipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. So I was talking earlier this week about the possibility that good things might come out of this bad situation. Obviously, that's in no way to belittle the tragedy that's already come out of it and which will surely get worse before it gets better, or the economic trouble I know it's causing, which likewise is likely to get worse before improving. But as I said before, it's possible that in stepping back out of the flow of social business, we'll discover there have been some ways in which human life has been evolving that weren't so good for human life. Maybe at-home motherhood really is better for everyone than career. Maybe some time alone to read and think is better than constant social interaction. Maybe even the occasional contemplation of death can be edifying. We can always hope, anyway, to find good things in bad times. But there's one idea from this crisis that I think we can take away already. Normal is good. In this wonderful country, normal is good. Even some of the normal things we sometimes complain about are good. Some young people are acting like idiots, endangering older people by spreading infection. But young people acting like idiots is normal. And in normal times, a little youthful idiocy makes life more crazy and beautiful. Young people should isolate now, but look forward to getting back to their normal idiotic selves. Small businesses are in danger. Work is good. And small businesses are good. They are the physical expression of the very human urge to better oneself through hard work and innovation. Let's hope when our small businesses get back to normal, governments in leftist states like the one I'm in, California, will realize they should stop regulating them to death. And we don't need a guaranteed income. We need work. Work is good. And friends and family, obviously, are good. Not because they're not a bunch of aggravating idiots. I've met your friends and family. They're definitely aggravating idiots. But 
because you're stuck with them. And being stuck with them teaches you to love the unlovable and tolerate the intolerable and moves you a little bit closer to what God wants you to be. It's a wise and fine thing to make the best of a crisis and learn from it. But when it's over, it might also be wise and fine to remember and appreciate just how good American normal really is. All right, we're going to talk more about everything that's going on. But first, let's talk about paint your life because you're sitting there alone in a house. You can't get out. I know I'm isolated. You want to be looking at something nice. You want to be looking at something beautiful. And this is something truly meaningful, and it's a meaningful gift you can give to somebody is paintyourlife.com. You can have an original painting yourself, of your children, your family, a special place that you love, or a cherished pet at a price you can afford from paintyourlife.com. I got one of myself. I put it in the office because I didn't want my wife to start throwing darts at it, but it's still there. Whenever I get back to my studio, I'll get to see it again, and it really is nice. It's This is a real painting done by hand by a world-class artist created from a favorite photo of yours. It makes the perfect gift for birthdays, anniversaries, or special family holidays, or just to celebrate being shut in right now as a limited time offer. You can get 30% off your painting. That's right, 30% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word Andrew to 64,000. That's Andrew to 64,000. That's A-N-D-R-E-W to 64,000. Paint your life. We've got the mailbag coming up. And all your problems, <laughs> all your problems will be solved. You will be screaming like that by the end of the show. I know things are tough right now. I really do. You know, I know pe- some people have been yelling at me about uh, joking around all the time. But I, if, believe me, if I could reach out and help you economically, if I could reach out and keep you healthy. I would do that. I don't have that power. I have this power. I hope I can at least entertain us during the laugh my way through the apocalypse, which I've been doing anyway, even before the apocalypse actually began. You know, if you you listen to the show, you know that um, I love ghost stories. I'm just a big, big ghost story fan. Even in this crisis, I have Amazon delivering uh, anthologies that I have with a, one story I haven't read yet. A great ghost stories by Richard Matheson. And you probably have never heard the name Richard Matheson, but he's a terrific writer. He wrote the book, I Am Legend. He's, he's the late Richard Matheson. Uh, he wrote the book, I Am Legend, which became The Last Man on Earth. And I think they made it with Will Smith again. Uh, the Incredible Shrinking Man was a famous movie when I was a kid. Uh, Stir of Echoes was a Kevin Bacon film. Hell House. These are all based on books that he wrote. Very creative. Wrote a lot of Twilight Zone episodes. And one of his Twilight Zone episodes was about a box with a button on it. And this couple is struggling and they're... Uh, you know, having very hard economic times and a guy shows up at their door with a box on a button on it. And he says, if you press this button in the show, it's a long time ago, it's $200,000, but say it's a million bucks. Press this button. I will give you a million dollars and someone you don't even know will die. And so they discuss this. And the guy goes away, leaves them the box with the button. The button's not even attached to anything. They don't know what will happen. They keep talking it through, hoping that, well, maybe if I press the button, somebody who's 80 years old or somebody who has cancer or somebody, you know, who's really having a hard life will be put out of their misery. They keep talking about it. And finally, the wife of the couple decides she's got to do it. She presses the button. The minute she presses the button, the door opens. There's the guy again with a suitcase filled with a million dollars. And he gives her a million dollars. And he takes the button away and he says, I'm just going to move on. I'm going to give this to someone else. And let me assure you, I'm going to give it to someone you don't know. Okay. 
That's the situation we're in now. And I'm telling, speaking especially to people who are out, who are going, still going out to bars, still going out to beaches, who are not thinking about the fact that you spread an infection to people you don't know. And you think, well, you know, yeah, this is only dangerous to old people. But and my I'm in Ohio and my grandma's in Florida. But the thing is, somebody else is in Florida with a grandma in Ohio. And so we're all kind of taking care of each other. And of course, the most important thing is that it doesn't get back to me. That's <laughs> that's the thing we all want to be thinking about. You know, some just some people are not thinking they're not thinking, hey, you know, if I spread this now, if I you don't want they're trying to flatten the curve, the peak so that the hospitals can handle the incoming. Right. Especially older people. And so you want to help them out by doing that, by maybe not going out to a bar, maybe not going out to a party, maybe not going out to the beach and living just a little bit differently this one time. It's what they call the social contract. We're all in it together. It's a, it's incredibly annoying. I know it is. It's a little easier for a writer like me who spent so much of my time uh, alone and actually kind of enjoys uh, being alone. But still, still, you want to think about somebody you don't know because somebody who doesn't know you is thinking about you. That's the whole thing. Thing. That's the reason I tell that ghost story. There is a wonderful ghost story that reminds us of what's going on. So everything's changing. We're going to talk about all the news that's coming up, and then uh, we'll talk about uh, the mailbag because all, it, there's some terrific, terrific questions today. Uh, especially some questions about uh, where we stand in the middle of this crisis. A lot of people talking about the different ways we can deal with this, and of course, there's all kinds of things we're going to learn from this. So the next time. We do it better, but so far they're doing the best they can, and we'll talk about everything uh, that's going on. But first, before we talk about everything that's going on, let me do one more ad, and then we'll get into that. It is um, this is for the Benham Brothers. This is a new sponsor, and here's the thing: this is about building a business. You're building a business because you want to be free. I was talking about small businesses. Everybody loves small businesses. But you're building a business so you can be your own boss. And the thing is, you do not want the business to subsume your life, to consume your life. It, it, you want to you don't want to hustle till you die. You don't want success at no matter what the cost. You don't want to miss your marriage and your kids growing up and all this stuff. It doesn't ha have to be that way. You can grow a business without sacrificing your family and character. So let me tell you about Benham Brothers. The Benham Brothers have over a dozen businesses, including a real estate empire that spans over 35 states, and they didn't sell their soul for it. That name might even ring a bell. The Benham Brothers was slated for a reality TV show on HGTV and were canceled because of their commitments to conservative values. So-called business coaches tell you that your life has to take a back seat to your hustle. David and Jason Benham are proof that that's a lie. And just this week, the Benham Brothers launched their new course, Expert Ownership. It's the model they've used to build each one of their businesses. Whether you're sick of the nine to five or have a 10-year-old business, Expert Ownership can help you achieve your goals. To celebrate the launch of their new course, they're offering 15% off to new members. You can check out a preview of the course and take advantage of that discount over at BenhamBrothers.com slash Clavin. That's B-E-N-H-A-M brothers.com slash Clavin. Head on over there to check out the course. There is an E in Benham, but there is no E in Clavin. You've got to know how to spell Clavin. B-A-N, there are no E's in Clavin. All right. Big stimulus package the uh, Trump administration is trying to come up come up with. Uh, it may cost up to a trillion dollars. Try and keep businesses afloat. Some of it is stimulus. Some of it may just be direct payments uh, to workers. Steve Mnuchin uh, was describing it. This is uh, not the um, this is the first Steve Mnuchin qu uh, clip number four. The president and I worked on a very significant economic stimulus plan, and these will be payments to small businesses. Uh, we've talked about loan guarantees so to critical 
industries such as airlines and hotels. And we've also talked about a stimulus package to the American worker. Uh, you can think of this as something like business interruption payments for the American worker. The president likes the idea of the payroll tax holiday. I will tell you what we've heard from many people, and the president has said we can consider this. The payroll tax holiday would get people money over the next six to eight months. We're looking at sending checks to Americans immediately. And what we've heard from hardworking Americans, many companies have now shut down, whether it's bars or restaurants. Americans need cash now, and the president wants to get cash now. And I mean now in the next two weeks. So people are saying this is the Andrew Yang plan. Maybe we should always go with the Andrew Yang plan. That reasoning is absolutely specious, absolutely ridiculous. Just because you do things in a crisis doesn't mean you do them all the time. People should not have to explain this, shouldn't have to explain it to the New York Times where they're just pushing socialism, pushing it. If we had socialism coming up to this, we wouldn't have the goods that we have to get through this. It is in normal times you want your capitalism to be building uh, the wealth that takes you through these crisis moments. Um, but the, the important thing, the press is is focusing on the things that really matter. Uh, this is cut number two as they questioned Donald Trump about something that is, I know, so important to us all. China and others have criticized you for using the phrase uh, Chinese virus. Uh, how do you feel about that? Are you going to continue using that phrase? Well, China uh, was putting out information which was false that our military gave this to them. That was false. And uh, rather than having an argument, I said, uh, I have to call it where it came from. It did come from China. So I think it's a very accurate term. But no, I didn't appreciate the fact that China was saying that our military gave it to them. Our military did not give give it to anybody. Critics say using our phrase creates a stigma. Um... No, I don't think so. No, I think saying that our military gave it to them creates a stigma. Good for Trump. Here is a basic rule, a basic rule. When the left or journalists, but I repeat myself, starts talking about what things are called, it means conservatives are right. So Trump is doing a good job. And the way you can tell Trump is doing a good job is because this is becoming an issue, right? If you hear people say, oh, you know, there's a lot of crime in black neighborhoods and the left says, oh, you said black, you're supposed to say African-American. That means there's a lot of crime in black neighborhoods. That's what that means. So anytime they're talking about what things are called, anytime they're talking about words, they're just simply trying to seize control of the discussion and throw uh, smoke, basically, to cover up the fact that something they, they don't like is happening, which is that Donald Trump is doing a good job. Even Dana Bash, hell froze over, and Dana Bash on CNN said so. This was remarkable from the president of the United States. This is a nonpartisan. This is um, an important thing to note uh, and to applaud from an American standpoint, from, an, from a human standpoint. He is... Um, being the kind of leader that people need, at least in tone, today and yesterday, in tone that people need and want and yearn for in times of crisis and uncertainty. Hell must have frozen over. It must have frozen over. But remember this, if you call it the Chinese virus, if you call it the Kung flu, if you call it the flu Manchu, if you call it any of those things, how dare you? It it will be, you know what it'll be like? It'll be like net neutrality. When they ended net neutrality, it'll be like the Paris Accords. People will die. Here's Corinne Jean Pierre on MSNBC. If you call it the Chinese, people, it's cut three. 
The xenophobia and the racism in outbreak is such a common thing. We've seen it in past uh, health outbreaks that we've seen in this country's history. The problem is it's coming directly from the president of the United States, and it is incredibly dangerous. It is problematic, and it is scary, and I just really want to call that out because you do have people in the Asian American community whose lives are at risk, and for the president to call it a Chinese virus or a foreign virus, that is just not... Uh, it's just so dangerous and not a good thing to do, obviously. <laughs> the press is really concerned about that, but not always. We have a montage that was sent to us by our friends over at the Media Research uh, Council, the N- Newsbusters site that I love so much. And uh, they, they sent us this. This is Chris Cuomo. It starts with Chris Cuomo calling people out for saying the Chinese flu or the Wuhan flu, or Kung flu or flu Manchu or, you know, the yellow peril or whatever, <laughs> whatever they're calling it. And then the rest is the media. This is all happening at a time that we're starting to see a message shift here because you're starting to hear the Republicans, especially Trump Co., calling it the Wuhan or the Chinese coronavirus. They're looking for someone to blame. Concern is growing this morning over an outbreak of a new SARS-like virus in China. At least six people have died from the Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus. The 34-year-old ophthalmologist diagnosed Saturday with the Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan virus. The Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus. What more can you tell us about the similarities or differences between SARS and the Wuhan coronavirus? The Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus in China. The Wuhan uh, coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus. And the Wuhan uh, coronavirus. Wuhan coronavirus. Fears continue to grow over the outbreak of the Wuhan coronavirus. Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus. We have new information about how the Wuhan coronavirus. So, <laughs> so not, Jim Garrity over at the National Review talks about this and he quotes uh, the Times of London. Um, Chinese laboratories identified a mystery virus, virus as a highly infectious new pathogen by late December last year, but they were ordered to stop tests, destroy samples, and suppress the news. A Chinese media outlet has revealed a regional ha- health official in Wuhan center of the outbreak uh, demanded the destruction of the lab samples that established the cause of unexplained viral pneumonia on January 1st. China did not acknowledge there was human-to-human transmission until more than three weeks later. I mean, this just goes on and on. They covered it up. They just chased the Washington Post, the New York Times, and one other paper out of the uh, out of China because they don't want information to spread. Well, they'll bring them back here where they won't spread information. Uh, and, and the Chinese authorities, you know, they, they denied it all through January. People still, still disappear in China uh, if they tell the truth. I mean, this is something they keep doing. And meanwhile, they are. Trump is absolutely right. They have been spreading this classic Chinese, um, you know, propaganda that somehow the American military spread it into China, because this is always true of Chinese government, of not Chinese governments, of communist governments. It's always true of communist governments that they cannot take the blame for anything. It was like in Russia when they had a serial killer. They said, oh, no, there are no serial killers under communism, so that can't be happening. And the guy just went nuts and kept doing what he was doing because they can't take the blame for anything because they're living off a theory. They're living off a theory instead of off reality. Marco Rubio was talking good sense on Tucker Carlson last night and pointed out that this is why Trump is right about bringing business to America and buying American. 
This country made a decision about 30 years ago that the most efficient allocation of capital was to move many of the means of production to other countries. It was cheaper. China, but not just China, yes. other places. Well, now we, that vulnerability is being exposed. It's not just China anymore. India, Germany, Japan, a lot of the key ingredients and components for all kinds of things, from Tylenol all the way to uh, you know, pharmaceuticals uh, and, and even in the electronics realm, those components, even if we make the final product here, we depend on those countries for those components, and they're hoarding them. They're holding on to them because they need them to deal with the downturn and so forth, or because their factories have been closed. It has revealed that industrial strength is a key component of the national security of any country, and sadly, yes. it's taken this crisis to reveal that to a lot of people. You know, it's really, really interesting when you think about it, that it's Donald Trump who had a care for the working man. It's, it's Bernie Sanders who keeps thundering about the working man, but it's Donald Trump who's, taking, who's actually taking care of the working man by thinking about the fact that he wanted factories and manufacturing back in America by just thinking about that simple fact that there shouldn't be. Remember his, uh, his inaugural address when he talked about the rusting factories, this American carnage, and everybody said, oh, that's very dark. Ooh, that's so dark. That's so dark. But suddenly he has turned that darkness around, and he really has. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me that the suicide rate, the, the death by drugs and so forth, and death by misery, has dropped under Trump. It's him who has really taken care of the little guy and is paying off now and will pay off in the future. So now, while you're sitting around, while you've got nothing else to do, this is the perfect time, the perfect time to start to preserve your memories with Legacy Box. It's the kind of thing that you let go and you let it go and you don't get around to doing it and things can spoil, you know, tape, old tapes can spoil, old pictures can get ruined. But now is a good time, if you've got some time on your hands, to go and use Legacy Box. Legacy Box is a way for you to easily and affordably digitally preserve your past. It's so easy. You just pack up your stuff, send it over, and then receive perfectly preserved digital copies on a thumb drive, DVD, or the cloud. I've used it. It really is easy. It's incredibly easy. It's really simple. You're not just protecting these memories from a fire. Over the decades, a lot of things can happen. You can lose photographs to mold. VHS tapes can grow old and don't work. DVDs get scratched. Legacy Box is the world's largest digitizer of home movies and photos and has helped over 750,000 families digitally preserve their past, including mine. Get started preserving your past today. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Clavin to get an incredible 40% off your first order. Buy today to take advantage of this exclusive offer. Send in when you're ready. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Clavin and save 40% while supplies last. Memories matter, and you always want to remember how to spell Clavin. There are no <laughs> that is the important thing. Those are the important memories, right? Because sometimes that's one of the things I forget sometimes. The primaries. There's actually were primaries. Bernie Sanders is getting... Uh, the the communism beaten out of him. Uh, Joe Biden easily defeated Sanders in three major primaries on Tuesday. Uh, according to the New York Times, as all but extinguishes Mr. Sanders' chances for a comeback as anxious Americans turned out to vote amid a series of cascading disruptions from the coronavirus uh, pandemic. This is Florida, Illinois, Arizona. The numbers in Florida are hilarious, uh, really, when you think about it. It's 63% for Biden to 23% uh, to Bernie. Uh, maybe Bernie has found out that people who actually have experienced Castro don't care about his literacy program. They didn't like all the killing and being imprisoned and being impoverished. 
know, I've always, uh, that, that thing, I got to say, I know that stopped a lot of people, the praising Castro for his literacy program, but it was really that moment when he was doing a town hall, I think it was on Fox, he was doing a town hall, and he praised Castro's literacy program, people started booing, and he said, really? Really? You don't like literacy? I mean, it's an amazing, amazing, small-minded, uh, rigid way of thinking. Another thing about Donald Trump, and uh, listen, you know, you've, you've listened to the show, you've heard me criticize Donald Trump a lot for some of the things he does, but the thing about him is that I've said from the very beginning, he does learn. While people keep calling him stupid, while people keep saying he's a moron, he's a sociopath, he actually learns in situations. And so even the people now who are saying, well, he said this before, and now he's finally taking it seriously, right. He learned. They didn't know. He didn't know. Now he knows. Now he, he's got it, and he learns, and he does better as he goes along. Bernie Sanders hasn't changed his mind. Really, really hasn't changed his mind since the Rosenbergs were executed, and Biden doesn't have a mind anymore. So now Biden is on the roll. He's doing well. Uh, or this this video uh, Biden, whatever he is, this uh, hologram of Biden. So he's reaching out uh, to Bernie's voters, and he made this speech where he appealed to them as cut 14. Senator Sanders and I may disagree on tactics, but we share a common vision for the need to provide affordable health care for all Americans, reduce income inequity that has risen so drastically, to tackling the existential threat of our time, climate change. Senator Sanders and his supporters have brought a remarkable passion and tenacity to all of these issues. And together, they have shifted the fundamental conversation in this country. So let me say, especially to the young voters who have been inspired by Senator Sanders, I hear you. I know what's at stake. I know what we have to do. Our goal as a campaign and my goal as a candidate for president is to unify this party and then to unify the nation. So, so he makes that appeal because he knows that the people who are appealing him are liberals, but there are some, some of them are extremely liberal, some of them are moderate liberal. He wants to, that's his job now to bring those people together. He's going to tack a little bit to the right because he's tacked very far to the left. I just want to say that was a remote broadcast. And it, I'll describe this if you're not watching it, but first I'll, I'll play it. This is how that broadcast ended. Thank you all. Thank you all for listening. Oh. <laughs> Thanks. 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 Okay. He's in, a room, he's in a room by himself, right? You know, with his, his crew. And he just keeps staring at the camera as if he expects something to happen. And finally, his wife comes on and he's come away now. Come away now, father. It's time to take you home. This is the guy who's going to be handling in the Democrat mind. This is the guy who's going to be handling the next crisis uh, and sitting there staring into the camera going, what do I do now? And Jill will be taking him care of him and it's time. It's horror, Joe. It'll all be. God, I can't even believe they're talking about electing this guy as opposed to the vibrant guy with ideas that we have in there now. But they are. And meanwhile, Bernie, I love I love Bernie. Bernie is using never let a crisis go to waste. If you're a communist, Bernie is using this crisis to sell what he has been selling all these many, many years. Uh, have we got this clip? Yeah, there he is. Play, play Bernie. We must make sure that companies that get bailouts are required to sell equity to the government and put workers on their board of directors. 
It's like Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, you know I'll, I'll bail out your company, but I become the company. <laughs> it's, it's like he thinks there's going to be government bailouts of companies. There may be. If there's a bailout of company, then the government owns the company. What good is it for the government to own the company? The government doesn't do anything well. The government doesn't do anything well except these emergencies because it has all this money and all these resources, but it doesn't run business as well. It doesn't need workers on. Uh, you don't need. You know, this is another Marxist idea. Why would you put a worker on your board? Does he know how to run the company? Is he going to make create jobs? Or is he simply when the unions had their way with the car companies in Detroit, not only did the car companies go down the drain, but so did Detroit. Really, workers do not know how to run a company. That is the job of people who run companies. That's why they are called people who run companies. You can tell by the name. So now they're begging Bernie. They're begging Bernie uh, to resign. Uh, Claire McCaskill, a former senator, uh, Democrat senator, she was just saying, get out, get out of the race. Have we, have we got Claire? Yeah, play her. I think the conversation is going to quickly turn to how and when does Bernie Sanders uh, unite the Democratic Party. Uh, I, I predict that just like in Michigan and Mississippi and Missouri, we're going to see every county in Florida go for Joe Biden, every county in Arizona go for Joe Biden, and every county in Illinois go for Joe Biden. He's going to end up netting a, a big number of delegates after tonight. And so I think it is time. Yeah, she thinks it's time. The entire Democrat Party thinks it's time. But who doesn't think it's time? What's his name? Bernie said he was reassess his campaign. But yesterday on CNN, Alexandra Rojas, who was a, a surrogate from uh, Justice Democrats is the name of her organization, but basically a Bernie surrogate. Uh, she goes on and says this is not going to happen. But listen carefully to what she says, because she's in a room. She's on a panel with Anderson Cooper and CNN chief political analyst Gloria Borger and a couple of other Democrats. It's a statement. I think that Senator Sanders's campaign is much more than just a presidential campaign. It represents dozens of grassroots organizations, thousands of activists and organizers, uh, Latinos, young people, millions of people that right now during this crisis, uh, even before it felt like they were in a crisis, right? Because here in America, uh, even before this pandemic hit, we have 60% of Americans that can't afford an $800 uh, emergency bill if that happened tomorrow. Right. Uh, we have small business owners right now in the midst of the pandemic that aren't sure if they're going to have the support that they need. Right, but what does that mean moving forward? I mean, what that means, I think, right feelings. But but if what I, what I think Trump that means right now is that millennials uh, just we want Donald Trump to be defeated, too. I think there is nobody here that does not want Donald Trump to be defeated. And I think the question uh, that I would ask that I think Joe Biden, as the you know, what looks like to be the presumptive nominee who needs to focus on also unifying the party is the fact that millennials are going through their second recession right now. So, so she says there's nobody here who doesn't want to defeat Donald Trump. And n nowhere does Anderson Cooper or Gloria Borger of CNN say, uh, well, we're kind of objective newsmen. We don't see they just they let that pass because, of course, it's obviously true. Uh, you know, I got to play this quickly. Andrew Cuomo, uh, Chris Cuomo interviewed his brother, the governor of New York, Andrew. And this was their exchange. I called mom. I called mom just before I came on the show. It's not what By she the said. way, she said I was her favorite. She never said Good that. news is she said you were her second favorite. Second favorite son, no. Christopher. We both know neither of us are mom's first or second favorite in the family. I can't believe you're lying to my audience. You've blown the credibility of the entire interview. I should have ended it before. Second favorite son. Oh. Listen to the words. Listen to the words. Politicians are very tricky. You throw a word yeah. in there after the first time you said it. 
creates a lot of doubt. But I appreciate you clarifying. Not me. Straight across the plate. Stay strong. Straight across the plate. Stay strong. Stay for your people. And I appreciate you being here. I love you, brother. That's the problem with the press. You think somebody at CNN would notice? <laughs> All right. Now, uh, I listen. I hope you've had a chance to see some of the uh, new show we launched this week called All Access Live over at DailyWire.com. Ben Shapiro and Jeremy Boring kicked off Monday evening. Uh, he and Michael Knowles, Jeremy and Michael Knowles, followed up last night. We'll be doing episodes the rest of this week at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. All Access Live is a lot more relaxed than our regular program. It's less focused on bringing you news and information, and more about sitting down with you at the end of a long work day, especially in these troubled times. The show is actually intended for our all-access members, but in order to help us all feel a little less lonely during this time, we accelerated the launch and opened it up to all of our Daily Wire members for the time being. So please let us know if you like the show, what you'd like to see more or less of. Remember, we'll help you get through this, and we will be stronger as a nation and as a community when we do. So if you're around at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific tonight, join us on the all-access live show over at dailywire.com to watch the live stream and join the chat and you want to subscribe because it won't be free forever, right? Because uh, this crisis will not last forever. So right now, go over to dailywire.com and use access code Claven to get 10% off any Daily Wire membership plan. And let me tell you, if you're not a member, you are missing all the best stuff, especially getting your questions in the mailbag so I can solve all your problems. Members get our articles ad-free, access to all of our live broadcasts and show library, the full three hours of the Ben Shapiro Show, select bonus content, the mailbag. And more. Plus, our new all-access tier gets you into exclusive live online Q&A discussions with me, with Ben, Matt Walsh, Michael Knowles. I I just threw that in there. I I know you don't care. But plus, Daily Wire writers and special guests. And don't forget, you'll also get the greatest of all (laughs) beverage vessels, the leftist tears tumbler, so you can drink something while you're using Crowder's ashtray. All of that plus 10% off when using promo code Clavin. Don't hesitate. Get yourself over to dailywire.com. But first... Learn how to spell Clavin. You are too smart to be acting this dumb. <laughs> Wait, you're not talking to me when you say that. Uh, it's K-L-A-V-A-N Mailbag coming up. All right, Mailbag. Woo! Yeah! All right. From Brody, dear master of the known and unknown universe who makes everything look easy, needless to say, the coronavirus has put many people, including myself, into a contemplative state. I've been taking the opportunity to reflect deeply on my faith and values as a Christian, good use of a crisis. In this reflection, a question that I have struggled with for a long time resurfaced, does God punish his people. I'm not a crazed doomsday theorist, always looking for the end times. I'm not Jonathan Edwards, sinner in the hands of an angry God believer. But it's hard not to see this virus and think, is this a sign from God or is God angry with the world? I've had some similar feelings at a more personal level, times of struggle and of extreme hurt within my family, where it was hard not to think that God is angry with me and punishing me for my sins. So I wanted to take this opportunity to turn to you for clarity. Since your answers are guaranteed 100% correct, thank you for all you do for conservatism and God bless. My answers are guaranteed 100% correct, and in this case, I can say definitively, no. God does not punish the people in the way that you mean. It is, and I, You know how you know this? You know this because the innocent suffer, okay? When you're only thinking about yourself, 
you can, your mind can get a little clouded, but when you look and you see a sick child, when you see children who d- never even get to live, when you see the evil that people do to people who have no- done nothing to them, you know that this is not a direct, uh, you did this and that therefore God is punishing you or you're a sinful person and therefore God is punishing you. That's not the way it works. Even Jesus was asked about this. He passed a blind man and somebody said, uh, his disciples said, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God would be displayed in him. So here's the thing, right? God has created a world of consequences and free will. Okay. Now, the thing, when you hear people say there's no free will or you hear people say that God doesn't care about the consequences, the consequences are random. That is because they are doing what is essentially Adam's sin. They think they're, they're trying to think like God. They're trying to understand the mind of God. You can't understand the mind of God, nor do you have the imagination that God has, the creative power that God has to create a world in which every particle interlinks with every other particle so that many things can be true simultaneously, that the mind of man cannot conceive as being true simultaneously. So it's a world that God has made of consequences and of free will. The consequences are, if you behave in certain ways, things will probably go better for you, right? If you take care of yourself, if you exercise, people always say, oh, Christians, they just want to be good so they go to heaven. Well, it's like saying you only want to, um, you only want to exercise so you'll be in good shape, right? There are consequences to what you do, and you want to live into those consequences. You don't want to be an alcoholic. It's going to ruin your life because there are consequences. You don't want to abuse people because it's going to make them and you feel bad. There are consequences. But there's also free will at the exact same time, which means that that the world is going to look random to you. The free will extends to nature. Nature has to look random in order for there to be free will, okay? In order for there to be free will, Things have to have a a certain aspect of randomness to the people making choices. So there's going to be randomness and you have free will. So you can do evil to the innocent. So the world can make you ill, though you don't deserve it. Illness can spread, though though the people don't deserve it. And you can do evil to people. Those things are happening at the same time. So what's the answer? How do you respond to that? The thing is to think like a human being. Don't try to think like God. Think like a human being. And the question you should be asking yourself in each situation, whether it's good or bad, whether it's fair or not fair, is how do I behave? How do I react? How do I draw from this the thing that God wants me to have in this situation? Because no matter who you are, no matter what's happening to you, God wants you to draw something out of that. Maybe a moment of nobility, maybe a moment of wisdom, maybe a moment of of understanding, maybe simply displaying to others how one can behave in suffering. How do you, remember Jesus said he did this so that the works of God can be revealed. How do you reveal the glory of God in suffering? I'm not a pastor. I'm not a theologian. So I'm only telling you what my journey has been, what my journey of understanding has been, how I understand the works of God. But that is the thing. We know, because innocent, the innocent suffer, that this is not a direct punishment. Oh, we did something, and therefore this happened. We know it is the result of the fact that we live in a world of consequences and the fact that we res- live in a world of free will. So the Chinese had the option to spread the alarm earlier, and they didn't. That's free will, and we suffer for it. It's also a world of consequences where there's disease, and and diseases will spread. So you're not being punished. This is not a punishment on God. But but you have to look at each thing and think, how do I reveal the glory of God in my person by going through this crisis in the best way possible and not 
maybe becoming like a cranky old fuss budget yelling at everybody around me. Uh, From Michael. Hello, Andrew Lord of the Claven Unknower of Hair Products. (laughs) Never mind. My question concerns libertarians and their supposed neutrality. Most libertarians I know are of the socially liberal fiscal conservative, which is to say pro-Second Amendment, less progressive tax rate, Democrats. Most rail against Trump and have nothing to say against the Democrats of the left. Where do you think libertarianism clashes with conservatism and which do you think is better for a country? Well, it's a really good question. I'm a natural libertarian, but obviously libertarianism has its limits. So, you know, I I frequently hear libertarians say, well, if you're a libertarian, if you want small government, why do you want them to outlaw abortion? Because I think the government is allowed to protect people from other people, right? It's allowed to protect me from you killing me. And so the baby is a, even an unborn baby is a human being. So it can protect that unborn child, that the weakest person in the room, the smallest person, the person with the least voice. The thing about libertarianism is it depends upon a trust of your neighbor. It's okay. It's fine to say, yeah, you know, if you want to live in some crazy, you know, sexual relationship, it's nothing to me. But if everybody is doing that, women are going to suffer. If you don't have monogamy throughout your culture, women are going to suffer. There has never been a culture with polygamy where women were not belittled and enslaved. Never happens. It never happens. Zero times. Okay. So what you want is a culture where uh, people behave well. And then you can, when, then when you have the eccentric, the person who does something odd, the person who behaves in a weird way, you can say, yeah, I'm a libertarian, let him go. So the problem we have now is we have so lost our way. We've so lost our moral way that we are abusing children in plain sight. We are recommending the children be butchered because they go through a phase where maybe they think they're not sure about their gender. We're having, uh, you know, um, transvestite children's hour. So children become confused about gender when they don't have to be. We're abusing children in plain sight. That's not right. And that has to be stopped. And the government does has, have a right to stop it, but it does infringe on libertarian freedoms. And it's just a shame because if people behave in a good way, if people agree to certain rules of the road, if people have virtue and they act with virtue, then you don't need uh, a government to come down on people. Virtue is important. So the difference between libertarian and conservatism and conservatism knows that at some point, at some point, virtue has to be inculcated or enforced. And that's just the way that that works. So, you know, it's important for people to live in a virtuous life. We were talking about this at the opening of the show, that we're responsible for each other. If you don't live according to the virtues, if you don't uh, stop littering, stop stealing, stop writing graffiti, then ultimately the government has to come down on everybody and make more restrictive laws. All right. Uh, From David, hail the Lord of the multiverse and slayer of ease. Culture war question. A lot of the time Hollywood's agenda is easy to see, something I think you satirize quite well in the movie premiere scene in Empire of Lies. Everyone should read Empire of Lies. Terrific novel. But other times the messages are slipped in stealthily and otherwise innocuous entertainment. Many Disney films spring to mind. I'm hard pressed to decide which is more influential, considering the blatant stuff is just so prolific and loud. I was wondering your opinion. Well, my opinion is that that no one work or no one message or no one piece of propaganda really changes everything uh, in a in a terrible way. It can happen. There can be uh, shows or movies or books uh, like Uncle Tom's Cabin that uh, send a message out to people that people are ready to receive and that ignites uh, a sort of movement. And that can happen. But mostly what I think happens is certain assumptions are brooded about by a single, uh, a, a, 
an entertainment industry that is run and monopolized by one side. So again and again, you're going to see movies in which motherhood is restrictive and men are abusive and businessmen are evil and the environment is under threat. And you're going to see that again and again until it just becomes a cloud of knowing around you. You just know things are true that may not be true, that may be the opposite of the truth. I mean, we saw, saw them try to do this uh, during the wars on terror. This is how I first started speaking out uh, in a big way about conservatism when they started to make these anti-American movies about the war on terror. And they all bombed, but they kept making them. So you think, well, why? Why do you keep making them? Well, part of it is virtue signaling. Part of it is that they want to uh, show everybody what a great people they are so they'll get more jobs and, uh, and women will sleep with them and the rest of this that you get in Hollywood and they'll get the awards, prestige. But part of it is because they want to create a cloud of assumptions, a cloud of It's what they call the narrative. They want to create a narrative where you just assume things are true, that the American military is bad. I mean, that was one of the messages that was in every single one of these films. They were either bad or they were stupid. The the military was stupid and being manipulated by evil Republicans. So it's really this cloud of, uh, of information that the entertainment industry seeks to create. And that's one of the reasons, you know, we, we stand up against them, but it's also one of the reasons that we should be fighting back and creating clouds of our own and clouds of different assumptions and make sure that they hear other voices uh, coming to them that, that say different things and that tell them that, no, not everything that you're being told to assume is true. All right. Uh, Hello. One more. Hello. Great and wonderful. I'll be bald master of the multiverse. I've been married for 12 years. My wife and I have been uh, my wife and I have three wonderful children. Uh, We have a wonderful life. We have always tried to live lives that God wants us to. However, in the past few months, it feels like we've grown somewhat apart, not in a way that we want to divorce or separate, uh, which is against our religion. But my question is, are periods of time like this normal in a marriage? Will it pass? And will, will it happen again? Don't get me wrong. We both still love each other with all our hearts. We know that God ordains this marriage and that we are perfect for each other. Since you have been married since God created the world, that's true. I figure you would have some excellent insight into this. Thank you for any insight you can offer. So you feel that you've grown somewhat apart. All right. It doesn't matter whether it's normal or not. It's normal in some marriages. It may not be normal in others. It doesn't matter. It's happening to you and it's happening for a reason. So what you have to do now is you have to find time. I know you have three kids. They must be young since you've only been married 12 years. I know you have three kids, but you've got to find time to sit down and talk about it and find out what's going on. Something is going on, okay? It, it's, it's not a tragedy. It's not going to end your marriage. It will pass, but it will pass because you get together and talk about it. The marriage is yours to defend. You are in this together. You and your wife are in this together. The marriage is yours to defend. You defend it by talking it out and finding what's going on. Maybe there's been an incident that you didn't pay attention to. Maybe the children are taking up so much of your time. You haven't got time for each other. Uh, maybe you're worried about something and you're not telling your partner about it. You know, never leave your partner behind you got to figure it out yourself. So sit down, talk about it. Don't let it pass. Don't let it just go away and hope that things get better. Talk to your wife. And it doesn't have to, it's not like you talk to your wife one time and then it's all solved. Keep the lines of communication open. Find out what's happening because something's happening. I wish I could go on. I'd like to answer more questions, but we'll do it again next week. I got to stop right there. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. We'll see you tomorrow. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. 
We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. As the U.S. death toll from the Wu flu hits 100, some experts are wondering whether grinding the global economy to a halt might have been something of an overreaction. We examine the scientific data and the philosophical reasons why the left never lets a crisis go to waste. Then, President Trump officially secures the Republican nomination for president, and Joe Biden is set to sail to his own party's nomination if he can only remember who and where he is. All that and more, check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.